Scott, I heard it was you talking about a world where all is free. Yeah, it, it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly hope not, because only a fool would say that. That's On right. episode six of Stealing in the Dan. D- did you want me to actually say the lyric there? I'm no, sorry. it's okay. Okay, sorry. No, no. If that was the intention. <laughs> I started this thing like three episodes ago of like trying to take a little snippet of the song. Uh, and this was an awkward one for me. So I it, it I wanted to be as awkward as it. I wanted to feel as awkward as it as it was. Good. Good. I want this to be an honest podcast. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so here we are. Uh, episode six, talking about track five off of Can't Buy a Thrill. We are at the end of side one. Pour one out for side one. <laughs> <laughs> of Can't Buy a Thrill. Uh, here today to talk about um, uh, Only a Fool Would Say That. Um, here today to talk about uh, another song uh, uh, by uh, Frank Zappa, uh, Trouble Every Day. And and the Mothers of Invention. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um and uh, also to talk about uh, the cinematographic work uh, Brick yeah. by director Ryan Johnson. Yeah. Uh, in the interest of full disclosure before we start, since this is an honest podcast, yeah. as I told the, the boys before we started, uh, I had food poisoning this weekend, so if I seem a little uh, off listener, just let it be known that I woke up this morning and shit my pants. So. <laughs> Let it be known that Joe is a soldier who will do what it takes to get this podcast done. That's right. Yeah, and I'm here uh, as his fellow soldier to to support him and and give him my strength. Cool. Um, so uh, uh, I think we blocked out a little bit of uh, of, of errata. Um, uh, some 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 corrections, some notes on on prior episodes. Yes. Uh, you want us? You want you want me to start with mine? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe we'll start light uh, and then go a little more serious. So um, not quite errata, but it, it was a failure of execution uh, on my part. Uh, last episode during the uh, What's Good segment, I was saying I was really enjoying um, uh, the Jim Harrison collection um uh, a, a very big lunch, uh, and I had meant to bring uh, this excerpt because uh, it, it touches a couple of things that we've talked about on the podcast. Um, uh, this is an excerpt from uh, I, th- I think this is the very first uh, essay in um, in in the book uh, by Jim Harrison, um, and I here I quote. You said you were curious about my meals with Orson Welles, who, of course, is a bit of a trencherman. The most memorable was at Ma Maison, open parenthesis, the restaurant with the unlisted phone number out there in Glitzville, close parenthesis. The two of us were accompanied by a beautiful Hungarian countess who left in either boredom or disgust halfway through the meal. You see, Mike, she was slender and could not comprehend our great, sad hearts choked as they are with fatty deposits. Orson began by clearing his plate with half a dozen bull shots. This is Scott breaking in here to say a bull shot is a shot of vodka and beef stock. Oh, Jesus. Uh, back to the text. <laughs> wow. Uh, Half a dozen bull shots in quick succession. Uh, As we were hungry, the first course was a half pound of fresh caviar with an iced bottle of Stilichnia, open paren, politics again, in Palm Beach. Two years ago, a liquor store clerk refused to supply me Stilichnia because of what the Russians were doing in Afghanistan. I explained to him that the residents of that sorry country of Afghanistan are Muslim and don't drink vodka. My account was such that I got my vodka. Close paren. The next course was a wonderful ragu of sweetbreads in pastry covered by a half quart of black truffle sauce, accompanied by a rare old burgundy, the name of which would mean nothing to the impoverished hippies who read your, your magazine. 
Then without, a, <laughs> then without a moment's rest arrived a whole poached Atlantic salmon in a sorrel sauce and a white Bordeaux. At this point, the countess wrapped herself in a cape and spun into the night. Her departure enabled me to ask Orson how he managed to snag Rita Hayworth at the top of her form. He said he was in Rio at the time her picture appeared on the cover of Life magazine. He took the next plane to LA and literally browbeat her into the marriage bed within 10 days. It seems, though, that romantically, the great man's uh, true weakness was for hat check girls. Wow. <laughs> so there's a little taste uh, to sell you on Jim Harrison uh, and a very big lunch. Wow. I don't know what half of those things they ate were, <laughs> but I feel like I was there. Yeah. I, I had to look up bull shots and was duly horrified. Yeah, that sounds awful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how about we talk about some Steely Dan now? <laughs> Let's talk about Steely Dan. Jeez. Cool. Um, so, yeah, here we are at the uh, at the close of side one of Camp I a Thrill, talking about uh, Only a Fool Would Say That. We just That's spun right. it here in the uh, Oregon Hill studio. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Uh, th- so, uh, well, yeah, I guess we can, we, we'll, we'll follow our standard form. Uh, were you in any way aware of this song before you became a, a self-avowed Dan head? No, no. Had yeah. no idea. Um, came across it. Yeah. Like like pretty much most of the songs we're we're going to be talking about uh, as I listen to the album. Yeah, yeah, ditto. Likewise, no early memory with uh, with the song. So, um, uh, what about like what what what, uh, what memories do you have about when you became aware of this song? You know, I I don't know that I have any any big memory of it. I, I know that in recent as as the Dan. Uh, the Dan Love flourished. I, I find myself going back to this song a lot. Mm. I think it's one of my favorites on the album. Mm-hmm. Um, I considered putting it in my compilation of of uh, quintessential Dan tracks for the beginner uh, that we did on episode zero. Yeah. Um, in part because I think it it embodies something about their worldview. Although the more I listen to it, the less sure I am of what that is. Yeah. Um, what about you? Um, yeah, I, yeah. Like you, I don't have a distinct memory of when this song first caught my ear, but it did, you know, like, um, it did like catch my ear because it, it is a little bit standout. Like it, it, it sounds a little bit like dirty work. It's got sort of that Latin vibe. Um, yeah. Uh, dirty work, not dirty work. Do it again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The other D song. Yeah. Um, uh, sorry, but, uh, yeah, so it's got a little bit of that Latin vibe and, um, and the, the chorus like the language nerd in me does delight in the chorus a fair amount. Something about the rhythm of the words and like that everything is a little stilted. Like it's not language that you would like hear anybody speak really. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, it, it's a good one. It is one that it's kind of a, a slow, a, a slow burn one that, that grows on you over time. Yeah. Um, Dakota, what did you, what did you make of the track first, first go around? What struck me was uh, the use of falsetto. Okay. Like, a, a lot of it, and I'm looking forward to that in the future. Okay. When it comes around to saying only a fool would say that, that hits that corny quality that I always talk about. It, it, it's the way it, like, lands on that, like, note when they come back that just, like, it It strikes me as corny, but this one's not a huge mark in that column. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's got a very anti-corny sentiment, I, I think. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, that's a, that's a great take because right, exactly. Like it does sound corny, but the message of the song is like, don't be corny, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like, don't be romantic, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, so um, my, my sort of like notes, just like um, think about it. Uh, uh, the vocal is doubled. Um, is something mm-hmm. I noticed. Uh, like Donald Fagan, you know, they said like Donald Fagan was like pretty nervous about his voice was they were like sort of launching this project, which is the reason, you know, Jim Hodder sang a, a track on this and um, uh, David Palmer, Palmer <laughs> uh, sings two tracks. Um, so, yeah, you can sort of see um, uh, evidence of, of uh, Donald being nervous about his voice in, in that they, they doubled it. And then, as Dakota pointed out on the uh, on the backing tracks, lots of backing vocals mm-hmm. uh, on the on the chorus there with uh, with lots of harmony. Um, it struck me like all of a sudden, like like listening to the song studiously, making a point of like studying it. I was like, "Is this is a rare?" I feel like this could this is again me being a musical idiot and a, a, a Steely Dan scholar idiot. But like, I feel like this is the first time I've noticed acoustic guitars on a Steely Dan song. Like prominent oh. acoustic guitars. Like mm. I'm sure there's acoustic guitars all over lots of their albums, but I but I feel like they're it, where they are. Other places they're buried deep in the mix, and here I'm it's tr- like I'm trying to think. I, I feel is there acoustic guitar in Dirty Work? Yeah, see, I don't know, but like uh, I now I'm trying to think. Is there where the acoustic guitar is in this song? I'm trying to put well, that together in my head. It's a very bossa nova song, right? Like, and they're yeah. just like it, they're just like. Ba-na-na. You know, it's like very rhythmic, just chord. It's very right. like jazz, bossa nova chord strumming. But it's like acoustic guitar, and it's very clear. It's this. I mean, this, this recording is so clean. Like, yeah, every, like yeah. there's no reverb, there's no distortion. Mm-hmm. Everything's just like right there in your ear. Yeah. So like the and you can sort of you can just hear like the the pick on the strings. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I, I did a little bit of um, music head research for this, which involved me watching videos on YouTube of guys with fedoras playing guitar. (laughs) But what Skunk Baxter is doing in this song, I guess is called octaves, which is a very jazzy thing. Uh, for me, I think maybe more than anything else on the album so far, it's the jazziest track or the most indebted to jazz. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's again, uh, as we said, would do it again. Uh, some Santana vibes, which is maybe just the the Latin. Uh, I thought that too, and I wanted to go a little bit deeper because I I always bring up that segment, and I'm always not prepared. So I, do, I wanted to be prepared this time. So okay. this is the segment that we call "This is the best uh, song that Blank never wrote." Yes, uh, and so I agree with your jazzy take um, and the bossa nova. So I said this is the this is the best song that um, um, gets and. Ju- um, Gets and, Gilber- and Gilberto never wrote. Okay, the yeah. uh, the Stan Gets Joao Gilberto. I still uh, never listened record. to that big album of theirs. Uh, I mean, it's but you know, it's like at some point I like much the way that I was like, oh, you know what? I've never really dug in on Steely Dan. At some point, I was like, I've never really dug in on Bossa Nova, and Bossa Nova is delightful. But the thing that you realize when you start listening to Bossa Nova is like there are effectively two Bossa Nova songs mm-hmm. and like fifty variations. It's kind of like uh, maybe the blues. For somebody yeah. outside of the blues but to even, get into the blues, but even shallower than the, I mean, and like you know, not the blues are great and Bossa Nova is great, but it just turn, in terms of like the variability, like if you put on, it, like if you just like put it, like if you can find Bossa Nova on Spotify or uh, or Apple Music or whatever, like you're like if you're not listening closely, you're just like I've heard the same song five times, now. right? For the casual, for the casual yeah. music fan who wants to try a little bit of everything, a little bit will get you a long way, maybe. Yeah, like Bossa Nova just does a lot better in these um, playlists. Like Apple Music has a station called Crooners and Cocktails, and like every fifth <laughs> song is a Bossa Nova. Yeah. Or like I bought this playlist forever ago called uh, Bachelor Pad, and it was right. like Bossa Nova plus like um, Exotica, like Les Baxter and Martin Denny. Like yeah. it, 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 that's where it fit. It fits in a mix of songs. You don't you think you want like like a, a bossa nova record, but you really want bossa nova slipped into a playlist. Right. I want I wonder if that's like 
if in other countries there's like an American genre where they're just like, <laughs> yeah. I just want like a sprinkling of it <laughs> yeah, yeah. with my other stuff or if that's just our uh, imperialistic nature. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, 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 like somewhere there's like there's like somebody in Vietnam right now being like, yeah, you think you're going to like Appalachian music, but like you really only want like three Appalachian or, music Or songs. surf rock. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a yeah. great one. Yeah, yeah, surf rock is a great analogy. Like that is the American yeah. um, uh, bossa nova for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. Um yeah. Other thoughts. I, the, the, the other thing it struck me on this listen that, um, boy, like, uh, skunk Baxter is still champing at the bit on, on oh, those yeah. uh, there's, horses. There's, yeah. There, I don't even know how to describe that, but it's, yeah, there's, there's that, uh, kind of his little fills and stuff. Yeah. That's, yeah. it's good shit. Yeah. Um, I, I guess we, we haven't really established too much the, the subject matter of the song, which is, it's kind of expressing, um, what I would call like an anti-utopian, um, it's kind of tisk tisking the the naivete of utopians out there, right? Yeah, or that's that's the easy surface read. Maybe there there could be. I, th- I I seem to have run into some interpretations where they they don't take that at face value, like where where it's maybe the character of the of an older person expressing this. But to yeah. me, it seems in line with uh, what we know of Steely Dan. Um, right. It's surprising because we've talked about this before that sort of like Steely Dan has like in every other song, they're sort of sneering and smirking and everything's sarcastic and nothing straightforward. But like the theme of this song is like in line with all of the themes of Steely Dan. So you're like, are they also smirking here or yeah. is this like just the one time they're giving it to you straight? Yeah. And you know, I, it, the first, the first verse at, there's uh there's mention of a guy in a white Stetson hat, you yeah. know, the uh a man with a, a boy with a plan, a natural man. Yeah. And I I've read some stuff suggesting that that could be LBJ. Okay. Um who, you know, was who will come up when we talk about uh the song I picked Trouble Every Day, but um you know, was brought the great society in, was trying to reform society, had a big vision. Um uh, which, I mean, frankly, it sounds kind of awesome to me. <laughs> Big government programs, but uh, delivered the South for Kennedy. Is that? Uh, is yeah, he was. He like rounded out Kennedy. He was. He was a, like much like um, like probably like even way more so than Biden did for Obama. Like he oh, he was he did a lot to like legitimize the ticket. Okay, because he know, was because he was an elder statesman who had been around, and like he was just big in the south. I think he's a Texas guy, right? Yeah, he's yeah. from Texas. So he delivered the, the idea, and I think it was a big swing too. I think it was like he swung the South to the Democrats for for the first time in a long time. Right. I could be wrong there, but I but I, it, it definitely <laughs> is the thing that LBJ delivered the South for Kennedy. Okay, because Kennedy was this. You know, I mean, you hear it in his voice. He's a Boston guy, so Catholic, Catholic <laughs> fella. Yeah, yeah. Little. Back when like Catholic was, you know. As suspicious as like any other, like as like other religion, you know, like yeah, like I mean, Catholic was probably as big a deal then as like Barack Obama's supposed Muslimness, even though yes, yeah, <laughs> Barack is actually Christian. Yeah, I well, never mind. I won't get into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. we're not. The I'm team. not a secret birther listener. <laughs> I just I will go into it. Uh, just it's a brief diversion. A uh, friend of mine, very liberal guy, uh, eventually got involved in the Occupy stuff. I remember he went to go see Barack Obama speak, yeah, and he was like, "This guy is great," but I just wish you know he kept talking about him being Christian. I wish he would just own up to the fact he's a Muslim. <laughs> 
is like that was his naive imp- right. impression of uh, like he thought he was bullshitting that. Right. To, yeah, yeah, ridiculous. Um, Fun. But it, it, it also, um, I don't know, what do you make of this unhand that gun, be gone, there's no one to fire upon. If he's holding it high, he's telling a lie. Yeah, th- this is one that I have been puzzling over, like, That's uh, tough. as we've been uh, preparing for this episode. Yeah, like, I, I don't feel certain about this read, but my read on it as it is, is like that it's something, it's about warmongering. Okay. That it's like, it's 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 about saber rattling, saying like, you know, I mean, I, again, I don't I guess maybe he's talking about Vietnam in this case, but. Uh, that, that seems possible. Um, but th- that's the only thing, like, on the hand that gun be gone, there's no one to fire upon. Yeah. If he's holding it high, he's telling a lie. That's the, that's the one I was like, I can't quite figure, I can't quite decode. If he's holding it high, he's telling a lie. I mean, I, I feel like I get like the general sentiment. Is he saying like, this guy's full of shit, but like, if he's, yeah, I don't, if he's holding it, it high, like if he's aiming at something, he's pretending that there's something to aim at. I don't know. I, I think this may be so far the most cryptic of the songs we've discussed. Like, even though the gist of it's pretty clear, like the specifics when you dive in, there's a lot of yeah. stuff where it's like, what's going on there? Right. I, I did, I, you know, I don't want to cop other people's reads from like comment sections or whatever, but one thing I saw a read of that line that I particularly liked was that it's, you know, about finger pointing. The gun is a finger pointing. Mm. Uh, um, you know, Joe, when you point one finger at somebody, you've got four pointing back at you. Well, I've never, <laughs> really, never really thought about it like that. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, so interestingly, I did my uh, metal leg research again. Uh, the Steely oh, Dan yeah, Reader, yeah. where like I, I searched. I'm glad somebody's doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I searched the Steely Dan Reader for every reference to this song, and um, n- none of the fun stuff like last week where we had like Donald Fagan and Walter Becker like talking about how they feel about the song. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's interesting is they did just um, uh, like post this review uh, from uh, the the October 18th, 1977 issue of the Boston Phoenix mm. uh, uh, by Ken Emerson, uh, which he titled Only a Fool Would Say That. Uh, and this is like maybe the spiciest take I've ever heard. Like this was a review of Aja when Aja dropped. And he said it's their first failure. Wow. Not only is it not their best album, but it's their worst album and the one where they finally fell apart. And he sort of frames it around this idea that only a fool would say that is the ethos or like the vision statement of um, Steely Dan. And he said like the whole like what Steely Dan is, is like uh, and like starting with this song, it's like it's an obituary to the 60s. It's like, Mm. you know, the free love, all that stuff is like bullshit and it's over and it's Mm. dead. And like, let's get back to real life. And he said like they just sort of like tried to. But because like Steely Dan is defined as being anti something. Mm. They just, you know, like that, you can only sustain that for so long. And then like his, I mean, again, I totally disagree. I love Aja. I yeah. I think it's my favorite album. I, I definitely think it's their best album. Right. And it's like, it's their ultimate album. Is, yeah. Is yeah how it's I their final it. form. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, but it, it I mean, like, yeah, I would call it good criticism because it's an inter- interesting read and it like definitely made me like rethink a lot of Steely Dan. So, yeah. It- I could see maybe somebody lashing out against Aja just because it's uh, if you're starting it's so to get ambitious, tired, right? And and so um, I don't know when it, when somebody swings that hard, it's yeah. easy to easy to hate on it. You know? I like I, I, get, I don't see it, but I could see somebody feeling like they're just like way too far up their own ass at yeah. this point. Yeah, yeah, and which is kind of my sweet spot for art when something goes a little too far up its own ass, right? 
but breaks on through to the other side. I yeah. don't know how that metaphor works. Are you like <laughs> going up your ass and bursting out your stomach like the alien Like monster? a chestbuster? Yeah. <laughs> I'm into it. Oh. <laughs> This, this is the message. Like this is the message that we have for you. Anybody with creative aspirations, be the chestbuster you want to. Yeah. Enter your ass and rip out your. Yeah. On 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 the note of it being an anti sixties. <laughs> yeah. Sentiment. I didn't yeah. want to let that idea land. <laughs> I didn't want. I don't want the listener to absorb that. Yeah. Um. I I did read some takes that said that this is an anti John Lennon song and like a response to like Imagine, which came mm. out a year before, and. I mean, I think that's maybe reaching, um, but I'm into it because I have actually never liked Imagine. Like I, oh, yeah, it's, I it's, think it's super sappy. Yeah, it is sappy. I, I yeah. haven't listened to the whole album, uh, but the, the song is is not for me. It's uh, just so funny, like the reputation that Lennon has as being like the guy that brought the snark and the cynicism to you know Paul McCartney's like super sweet like '50s bebop, mm. and then like when he goes out on his own, he writes like the song that he's most famous for is like. This like super sappy. I mean, I, again, like I don't disagree with the message of the song, but I do. I I don't like the presentation. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. There's definitely. I don't know. There's. Um. I don't know. I started to talk, and I was like, "I'm gonna have a point." <laughs> I have food poisoning. People. I'm, I'm dying here. He's a hero. He's a hero. If you make fun of Joe, you're making fun of a veteran. Yeah, I I don't know. I do think that it's kind of an interesting thing at the end of the song. It kind of gets into this critique of, like, the utopian is mm-hmm. detached from reality. And for, like, the man on the street who's got a job right. that's kicking his ass to go home and see, like, the puffed up man with a dream on TV, mm-hmm. is it does nothing for him. Right. And the, the closing kind of thing in the song, anybody on the street has murder in his eyes. Yeah. And then it switches. You feel no pain and you're younger than you realize. So, like, the people on the street, they're living in harsh reality. Right. And, and these these hippies, these dreamers, you know, they're they uh, they're not actually experiencing anything. They're they're kind of coming from a privileged position. Right. Um, I don't know if that if you can read this song as conservative or like, I don't know if you can give it a straight straight political read. But like there's. There's kind of that recognition, uh, like okay, a lot of these people who may be talking uh, utopian dreams, like they're 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 coming from a place where they're not actually living out in the real world and getting their ass kicked every day, you know? Yeah, and like maybe some like you're, yeah, I, I see what you're saying, and, and probably some some overlap there with um, Zappa, who I think like uh, notoriously yeah. had uh, he wouldn't have called himself a Republican, but had some strong words for the left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's I think a libertarian, pretty. Yeah. Uh, like I think a lot of libertarians look at him as kind of a hero. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we can we can get into that when we when we talk about him. Any anything left with the the song? Well, just like to return to the idea that like who knows how seriously to take this. Like the song literally ends with like a giggle. Yeah. And then somebody saying in Spanish uh, uh, something to the uh, the effect of like in Spanish only a fool would say that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like who knows? It's such a it's such like a light song kind of it, yeah, it just breezy. rolls the fuck on like yeah. it, it's it's seamless uh yeah if they if 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 steely dan have a yacht rock song it's this one i don't know i i, I, I guess i'm baffled by what yacht rock is supposed to be like i well, think of it as uh i think glamour profession as as yacht rock but yeah or no i i, I thought like um i think time out of mind is like maybe uh, yeah. ob- objectively a yacht rock song i mean so here like there's no um 
there's no objective definition of yacht rock. It's, right, right. It's sort of this term that floated out of the ether, but uh, you know, yeah, I mean, it's roughly like we said, and like uh, I felt, I felt I've, like having done a little research, I, I do feel good about. Uh, uh, what I said the last time we were talking about Yacht Rock, that it like it uh, it almost has to involve Michael McDonald, um, um, some saxophones maybe. Uh, yeah, saxophone. Like yeah, if you don't have a saxophone, it's highly unlikely that it's a Yacht Rock song. But it's basically my, Michael McDonald, Christopher Cross, and um, good God, Highway to the Danger Zone. Uh, Kenny, Kenny Loggins. Kenny Loggins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see some people like sitting on their yacht listening to this song. Like yeah, fuck hippies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got got the nice suntans going and the the fucking songs bopping along. Yeah, I can picture that. Right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I I did. I read a, <laughs> under the uh, YouTube uh, video for this. I read this comment, which I found strange. <laughs> I read a few. Well, I mean, you're always going to find strange comments, yeah. but this one seems especially uh, tone deaf. Uh, young ones that listen to Steely Dan. You are the resistance. <laughs> what? I don't know if they understood the song, really. Yeah, <laughs> that makes less sense than the. Uh, yeah, that's even more indecipherable than the song itself. Yeah. Um, so the only other thing on this one, this is the first one I, I I've tried to always look to see if there are any like prominent covers of these songs mm. as we come along across them. This is the first one that sort of that hits the radar at all. Uh, it was covered in 2004 by a band called Ivy. I think, I believe they're British. Okay. Um, it's a pretty straight ahead cover. It's a, the female vocalist, um, mm. but other, and it's like slightly more stripped down instrumentation. Um, uh, but it's a, it's pretty straight ahead cover. People uh, seem to, to, to like it. Um, and then I d- dug a little further and figured out, uh, I'm curious if you were aware of this, but like it was recorded for, the Me, Myself, and Irene soundtrack, which in fact includes several Steely Dan covers. The Ivy? Yeah, the Ivy cover was recorded for the Me, Myself, and Irene soundtrack, which Do we have to do a bonus episode on Me, my, Myself, might. and Irene? There's a... There's Second a, time this movie has come up in the past couple weeks for me. <laughs> ben Folds 5 covered Barrytown, and apparently that's the last recording they did before they broke up. Okay. <laughs> and, I mean, they since reunited, but... Um, <laughs> hilariously, Smash Mouth covered Do It Again, which I can't even bring wow. myself to listen to. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, Wilco did a very good cover of um, um, any major dude would tell you. Oh wow, that 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 really makes sense to me. I think. I yeah. Now, now you're. <laughs> um, but, but anyway, like Wilco did a great cover. It's like simultaneously, it's a, it's a good cover. I mean, it's not a hundred percent faithful, but um, but it's a, it's a good cover and a, like a good Wilco song. It's a good fit for them. All right. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, we might have to do a special episode about <laughs> yeah. me, myself, and Irene. Yeah. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's weird. And then apparently, like, they, they did just include, like, some, like, Steely, Van, Steely Dan versions of Steely Dan songs in the movie. Okay. And, like, some of my, like, they included Bodhisattva and Razor Boy, which I was like, well, shit, those are, like, legit cuts. Yeah. So, whatever you think about the Fairley brothers, I think they're real Dan heads. Yeah. I could see that. That adds yeah. up to me. Oh, no. Like, having, like I said, having been to a Steely Dan concert, I do not identify with the. I do not <laughs> identify with every, like, faction in their uh, yeah. following. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. Do we want to. Yeah. We want to talk Trouble Every Day? Let's do it. By, by Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention. Yeah. 66? Uh, recorded in 66 on the album Freak Out. Mm hmm. Which, uh, you know, it's an album I was introduced to in high school and thought like, okay, yeah, kooky 60s rock and roll. And only 
as I'm listening to it as an adult, am I fully piecing together how out of left field it is? Yeah. Um, it's like, you know, you've got like doo-wop songs that all of a sudden break <laughs> into like screams and vomit sounds and <laughs> you get uh, more kazoo co- solos than you can shake a finger at. Yeah. And, uh, and, and this song, which is a pretty, pretty strange kind of blues rant, mm-hmm. um, kind of this apocalyptic loop. Um, but yeah, Frank Zappa, if there's, I feel like this is dangerous to talk about because you're either a Zappa head, like I feel like I'm an outlier being a a casual Zappa appreciator. Like Mm -hmm. I had to really be in the mood to jump in. Um, yeah, likewise. He's, uh, he's dense. He's dense. He's he's recorded something like I think in his lifetime dropped like sixty two albums. Yeah, and I guess his main project is kind of mixing rock and roll and uh, modern classical and mm. free jazz and uh, into this uh, irreverent amalgam of of styles. You know, he, he's a, a technically incredible guitarist. He's a composer. Right. Um, yeah, just like a very gifted musician, very knowledgeable, very skilled musician. But he cuts that with a sense of humor that yeah. could best be described as childish. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, you know, a lot of people, I think that's kind of the barrier. Like, instead of his humor making the music more accessible, mm-hmm. um, it's like, it makes it harder to get into for people, I think. Yeah, because it's like there's nothing to hold on to. Yeah. Like the lyrics are like, I mean, or the, the riffs are going so fast that it's hard to even like tune your ear to it. Right. And then like, yeah, there's nothing that you can be like, fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, th- I think that being said, Freak Out is maybe one of his most accessible yeah. albums. Uh, it's a it's a great album. I, I think it's, you know, it's not one I spend every day, um, but it's. It's a good starting point in that it's his debut, and I think it it has the avant-garde elements, but mm-hmm. not. Um, it's like avant-garde direct, like uh, avant-garde decorations on a '60s rock Christmas tree. Yeah, yeah. Like that, that's the base of it is still. It's like three chords, you know. I mean, it's. I'm sure there's a lot more chords, but it's like it is like what you're used to hearing rock and roll wise, right? And then he just like sort of adorns it with all this like craziness i i th- i found this backup uh this this story about the background of the mothers of invention written by frank zappa himself cool. published in hit parader in 1968 Sweet. called the incredible history of the mothers and uh he says that he devised the band as quote a composite gap filling product that fills most of the gaps between so-called serious music and the so-called popular music and what happened is he basically recruits this band uh, that was just basically playing bars, and they were playing at the Whiskey Go a Go Go, uh, and this guy from MGM, Tom Wilson, heard them play Trouble Every Day, and was like, "All right, yeah, this this is a white rhythm and blues band. Like we can we can cut a couple singles. It'll be fucking cool." <laughs> and he he gets them, and they're like, "No, let's cut an album instead. No, you know what? Let's cut a double album." <laughs> And I think I read that this is the first double album that's a debut album. Sounds right to me. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, and it, uh, 
by his account, the average album at this time cost $5,000 to produce. This cost $21,000 to produce. Good Lord. And there's, I mean, there's a whole lot going on. There's a whole lot of experiments with uh, the way it's recorded, with the instrumentation. Um, Apparently a big influence on Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. I can buy um, that. Which then, of course, influenced everything afterwards. So, I mean, this album's uh, huge. But uh, I found, I'm going to read a lengthy excerpt from this because I find it um, amusing and it'll hook you kind of into Zappa's uh, thinking. Yeah. All right. This is Zappa himself. The instrumentation of the ideal mother's rock and roll band is two piccolos, two (laughs) flutes, two bass flutes, two oboes, English horn, three bassoons, a contrabassoon, four clarinets, with the fourth clarinet player doubling on alto clarinet. (laughs) Bass clarinet, contrabass clarinet, <laughs> soprano, alto, tenor, baritone, and bass saxophones, four trumpets, four French horns, three trombones, one bass trombone, one tuba, one contrabass tuba, two harps, two keyboard man playing piano, electric piano, electric harpsichord, electric clavichord, <laughs> Hammond organ, <laughs> celeste, and piano bass, ten first violins, <laughs> ten second violins, eight violas, six cellos, Four-string bass, four percussionists playing 12 timpani, chimes, gongs, field drums, bass drums, snare drums, wood blocks, lion's roar, vibes, (laughs) xylophone and marimba, three electric guitars, one electric 12-string guitar, electric bass and electric bass guitar, and two drummers at sets, plus vocalists who play tambourines. And I won't be happy until I have it. <laughs> I, think that imp- I think that people are entitled to hear that kind of music live. Kid w- kids would go to concerts if they could hear music that knocked them out. If the concert halls would change to more modern programming, they would find the place crawling with kids. Something like this won't happen overnight, and I know it. But I've studied my audiences carefully enough to see that we're making some headway in that direction. Uh, many people sit and listen to us because they pretend they can't dance to our music. That's total bull. I'm nearly an epileptic, and I can make it. <laughs> These people don't sit because they enjoy the music. They're just waiting to find out if they like the music. It doesn't sound like what they've been used to hearing. They want to get their ears accustomed to it. It's not psychedelic. Zappa, infamously not a drug guy. Right, uh, yeah. All for their legalization, never, never really dived into it. Right. Uh, I asked a nightclub owner what psychedelic music was. It's loud, out-of-tune, crazy music, he told me. (laughs) You can't understand it. Our music is fairly logical. Our spontaneous outbursts are planned. They have to be. If you take an eight-piece band and not direct them, you'll have psychedelic music. We rehearse an an average of 12 hours on each song. We learn them in sections. There's a front part, then interlude A, interlude B, and so forth, and the band has to remember certain cues for each section. Each set that we do is conceived of as one continuous piece of music, like an opera. Even the dialogue between our numbers is part of it. Some of our sets run an hour and a half when we get carried away. That's about opera length. A better description of what we're doing might be a theatrical presentation with music. I'll I'll cut it there, but there's more to it than that. He starts talking about Lenny Bruce and uh, as a hero of his and a friend of his. Um, But that's kind of the Zappa program. Like, this is... Totally orchestrated insanity. I'm in total control. Yeah. And uh, you're going to learn to like it eventually. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, But with all that said, we'll talk about the song. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Trouble Every Day, um, which, as I said, is the song that got them their record deal, which seems strange to me. Uh, Yeah. 
What, what was your, did you have history with Zappa before this? Uh... Like not a strong history. Um, uh, I think I said last week I listened to Hot Rats a few times. Oh, hell yeah. My dad was like, uh, um, my dad was like enthusiastically in favor of Frank Zappa. And like, mm-hmm. he, I mean, he had Hot Rats, um, but I don't like he didn't. It's not like he listened to I, it, He wasn't like a Frank Zappa head. But I remember like it was like a common um, a common reference slash joke for me and my dad and my brother was the song Montana by uh, Frank Zappa. We would, I don't know that one. Uh, well, it's it's great. It, it starts with, and, and we would often uh, just look at each other apropos of nothing and say, I'm moving to Montana soon to raise me up some dental floss. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a, that's a prototypical uh, Zappa lyric, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's like not, not a ton of history, but I was, I was aware of Zappa and, and I think I, I feel like I watched a documentary this could be an Oprah memory, but like, I feel like I watched a documentary that was about like a rock school for kids that were like training to play Frank Zappa music. Wow. Yeah. All right. I hope that's real. <laughs> yeah. Me What's too. an Oprah memory? Oh, uh, just, um, like a fabricated memory, like not to bag on Oprah, but I just, I've heard it labeled that, that like, uh, somebody proved that it is theoretically possible to create memories in people that of events that never happened. And like, oh, okay. the, I, somehow it was like tied to somebody that was on Oprah, you know, recovering or like recalling childhood trauma that like didn't actually happen or something. Oh, but okay. Anyway. Well, this song is about a trauma that really did happen. <laughs> yeah. the, the Watts riots or the Watts rebellion. In, yeah. Uh, 1965, August 11th to the 16th. Um, I didn't have a lot. I mean, I knew about the Watts riots. Right. I did a little, did a little research on it. Um, Apparently, Zappa wrote this song <laughs> while watching the riots at his friend Wild Bill the Mannequin Fucker's house. <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine as to how he got that nickname. Yeah. Uh, but is he a meth chemist that I guess he was, despite being anti-drug or right. not, you know, personally into drugs, was hanging out with. Mm. Uh, so he's watching the footage of these riots. Um, yeah, I, I watched some. Have you ever seen the footage? No. Uh, it's pretty crazy. I mean, mm-hmm. basically, what happened is uh, a black guy named Marquette Fry was pulled over for drunk driving, and a confrontation broke out with the police. His mother was brought to the scene, uh, and the police, there was a scuffle of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, like the people in the community said that. Uh, a pregnant woman was kicked and that, you know, the, the guy, uh, Marquette was, was getting beat. Mm-hmm. And this led to, uh, and ex- obviously there were a lot of tensions leading up to this yeah. where, I mean, the LAPD is, um, if famous for anything, <laughs> it's monstrous history of racism. <laughs> I was going to say, luckily 50 years later, <laughs> a lot has changed and we've made a ton of progress. Yeah. Well, it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, what's crazy about listening to this song though, is like, yeah. it feels like it could be written now. Yeah. It's super, it's eternally relevant. It could um, be about Ferguson. Yeah. Yeah. It could be. Yeah, exactly. Or, or the next thing that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, um, but the, so over six days, more than 30,000 people in the streets participating in the riots. Yeah. 34 deaths. I think 23 uh, from police shooting people. Mm-hmm. Um, over 1,000 injuries. Uh, over 3,400 arrests. They had to open abandoned jails to, to put people in. Yeah. And uh, on Wikipedia, it says $40 million in property damage. But I watched some newsreel footage uh, from the Associated Press at the time that said— um, 
there was $200 million worth <laughs> of damage. But you watch the footage and it's just like entire um, blocks and blocks of businesses being burnt to the ground. Yeah. Nobody attacked houses. The houses that burnt down were were uh, incidental. Um, but um, basically just a war zone on the streets. Yeah. And Zappa uh, responds with this song. Um, yeah. It's a doozy. It's, 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 uh, yeah, it's, uh, that ghostly harmonica, man. Yeah. <laughs> that just, um, it's, it's got a real eeriness to it. Like it's, it's got an immediacy. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like I said, it still feels, uh, relevant now. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, um, that's crazy. Um, yeah, I'm glad you did all that research because uh, I was like, I just listened to it a few times. And I did no research. So I was wondering, too, I was like, the lyrics are so dense and Frank Zappa being who Frank Zappa is. I was like, I don't know if he's like if he's if this is like a direct expression of, mm-hmm. of him or like if he's like playing a character of some kind. Right. Uh, but it, but it, with that context, it's pretty obvious that it is like he's just reacting to what he was literally seeing on the TV. Yeah. More than anything I think I've heard by him, it's it's sincere like it's and maybe that's why i think this is one of his songs that um probably has the biggest cultural impact Mm. like as far as uh, (laughs) as opposed to the the huge cultural impact of peaches and regalia (laughs) don't you eat that yellow snow (laughs) yeah (laughs) i think people like the concept of zappa right more than the actual i mean i count myself amongst them yeah um, more than actually listening to his music. Well, and I think he's right too. Like, I bet if I could, like, Ludovico myself, <laughs> you know, yeah. like tape my ears open and like listen to Zappa exclusively for three weeks, yeah, I'd figure out a lot about it and start to really enjoy it. But right. it is so dense, yeah, and so um, advanced, yeah, that like it's it's impenetrable to the casual listener. Yeah, although this song, uh, it's, no, not it's this, got, but yeah, it's like got, the later it's, stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's got like a uh, a blues lick, kind of these layers of blues guitars. Yeah, um, it sounds like at least two, maybe even three guitars. Yeah, just sort of like noodle, like one guy's holding down the chord changes, and then uh, at least one other guy noodling, and maybe even a couple more. Yeah, and it's basically just him spilling. Um, yeah, the main targets I would say are the media. He's he's yeah, fed say, up it, with the news coverage. Yeah, interesting that even then we had that cynical take on. Yeah, if he had lived to now, it would. <laughs> well, say, and if we were doing a Frank Zappa podcast and we had to pick like a go along for this song, like I the network would be the obvious choice. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, uh, racial discrimination. Yeah. Um, there's that line where he's like, um, pull it up. I'm not, I'm not, uh, oh, yeah. I'm not black, but there are sometimes I wish I could say I'm not white. Hey, you know something, people? I'm not black, but there's a whole lot of times I wish I could say I'm not white. Yeah. Always, I never know how to take that line. At right. All. I mean, it's, it's straightforward, obviously, but it's, yeah. Um, I, I don't know if that holds up today. Like, I, I don't right. know, uh, yeah, it's like it make, it's a, it's a line you hear it and you make it makes you nervous. You're like, there might be something problematic about that, but I'm not sure. In a way, though, I I want to be careful about this, but I think, I mean, there's there's lots about Zappa's politics that we could probably find problematic right. from today's perspective, especially if you're um, 
not not a libertarian. Um, <laughs> As a casual side, there's a great video on YouTube. I, 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 I bet if you just search like Zappa Cadillac, there's like a great vi- from like the 70s of like some hippie giving him a hard time about his gas guzzling Cadillac. <laughs> and he's just like the casually defends the shit out of his Cadillac ownership. Yeah. yeah he's, he's big li- into private property, which, right, um, which makes sense. And this song makes sense, too, because there is a little bit of he's just a much cooler Ted Nugent. I don't want to say both sidesism <laughs> to this, but yeah, he, no, he's is. definitely yeah. disgusted because he specifically calls out like being like tearing down these businesses where yeah. it's people trying to support uh, their community because right. a few of the business owners are white. Yeah. Um, but I think like the song kind of transcends like problematicness because it is such an immediate response to it. It's yeah. like this is just one guy watching TV. He's not making a great like yeah, he may not, be making like a statement about society, but it's his statement on society. It's not. Yeah, it's not like thought out. It's yeah. not a. Um, it it has that feeling like even it sounds though like he just like hit record while he was watching the footage. Yeah, yeah, even though like the the wording of it and the rhymes and everything, it's like he clearly yeah. worked it out. Right, but uh, it does have that feeling of just off the cuff rant. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it, just. Uh, you know, there's a real despair at like this endless yeah. cycle of mm-hmm. inequality and hate and violence. But he's not a hippie. He's no, like no. <laughs> he's, he no. hates hippies. Yeah. Um, a line that stuck out to me. We kind of talked about LBJ a little bit, um, and this is something the Great Society, which you know LBJ. This is where Medicare and Medicaid came from. Yep. Um, I think the Civil Rights Act falls under it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was LBJ's big push for kind of a neo New Deal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it comes up on Freak Out in the first track, um, "Hungry Freak's Daddy." <laughs> <laughs> Which, what a, that's if there's a 1966 fucking song title, that's it right there. Yep. Um, but th- this is it comes up again in this song, and he says, "Don't you know that this could start on any street in any town in any state if any clown decides that now's the time to fight for some ideal he thinks is right." And if a million more agree, there ain't no great society. Mm. It's like this whole idea of a great society in Zappa's view is like held together on nothing. And, yep. and there, everybody on the street has murder in their eyes, you know? Right. Um, yeah, he's, he's afraid of people getting swept either way. Yeah. Uh, and, and this idea of like a great society uh, legislature, legislative package holding society together may not may not work because right. there's inhumanity is part of humanity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Frank Zappa hero to all the centrists to <laughs> centrists today who are like nervously looking over between Trump and Bernie Sanders being like, where's everybody that I used to like? <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know where he would fall in today's like, I always feel like with, with a lot of the musicians like this, like, People will read whatever they want into it, right. but I could see him being a Trump guy, you know? Oh, so, yeah, possible. Yeah. You know, it, people always assume that, like, they would just evolve in the way that they were going before, but right. it's like, he could have been, been a Trump guy. <laughs> yeah, the reason Trump is in the office is, like, all these fucking boomers whose brains rotted in suburbia. Yeah, he wouldn't be a Marianne Williamson guy. <laughs> That's for no, sure. Not like me. Yeah. She's my favorite candidate. It's, you know, I believe in the power of the orbs. Yeah. I want to harness the power of love for political purposes. Yeah. 
Are you a, are you a news junkie? Are you uh, uh kind of um mostly through podcasts, but um yeah, well, and I try to like I I try to keep like I read like the headlines every day. Mm-hmm. I get like um a few different versions of like uh, hey, here's all the major stories. Um and then yeah, I listen to a couple of um uh, political podcast. Uh, shout out to Chapo Trap House. Yeah. I'm uh, a listener too. Yeah. They're great. Yeah. Um that yeah, I you don't strike me as a guy that gets like uh like super outraged or like No, I mean yeah, maybe it's all the Steely Dan. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah. like I don't I, I tend not to get fired up and I get nervous about I I am like Frank Zappa like skeptical of anybody who Starts like screaming about stuff. Any any easy solution yeah, seems uh, for sure seems uh, suspect. And I yeah I think I think there is a, a, a connection between Zappa and Steely Dan. Mm-hmm. I mean not just the the um, the fact that like real music heads and and yeah. jazz heads and uh, kind of uh, people who like the avant garde mixed in with their rock and roll tend to be drawn to them. But in worldview, especially in these two songs, yeah, I, I, I think there's an interesting dialogue between them there yeah like listening to like spinning the album i thought it was interesting right like how much overlap there is but then like what the like there's still strong strong contrast like oh yeah it's so funny like i you know like I said, what i do my preparation for these episodes i have a playlist of like this week's song next week's song and then in this case i threw um trouble every day on there so like hearing trouble every day and then <laughs> going into only a fool would say that like yeah. that like fuzzed out garage rock and then into like this super clean bossa nova yeah yeah it's like so stark but it, like they like you said like they have a similar mission like they're both trying to do fusion uh of two of like two different musical styles they're trying to bring like it's sort of like you can both see them kind of like shaking their heads at all these kids with their guitars going like, like we believe in the power of rock and roll, but like, we don't want to forget all the like accumulated musical Mm -hmm. knowledge that got us here. Right. Like we understand the need to strip it down and make it more raw, but like we still want to bring back some of like all the, you know, bring back the Bach and the, uh, the Duke Ellington and, yeah, the, and that kind the, of stuff. The sophisticated music, but then the, the results of that, like it's like it's it's, it's it's it seems like almost like like a study, like it, and then it, from there they become opposites. Where like Frank Zappa is just like, even though he is you know very writerly and and structured and logical, he, he it seems like like you said like like sixty some albums, like he was just like let me just crank out as much as possible. Yeah. Whereas Steely Dan was like, no, we're gonna hole up in a studio for two years at a time, right, and do fifty takes of everything. Yeah. So, and and uh, for people who don't know, Zappa uh, did some production work as well. Uh, he produced Captain Beefheart's Trout, Trout Mask Replica, mm-hmm. but he also produced Grand Funk Railroad. He produced <laughs> one of their albums. So I think, uh, yeah, he was probably a little less up his ass than Steely Dan, less of a perfectionist. Yeah, somebody um, was telling a story, and I think it was, I think it was Alice Cooper, that like. They, I think they, got, they were involved too, right? Uh, yeah, they got signed by some major label, but then they just got thrown at Frank Zappa, like as a producer. Mm. And Frank Zappa's like, I don't give a fuck to whatever you want. Yeah, <laughs> like it, the first, the first, like, and if you want to hear something like really mind bending, like listen to the first Alice Cooper record. Like it's it's bizarre. Is that the one with the snake on the cover. Uh, I don't remember, but it's it's not like what you think. Like it's bizarre. It's it's, okay. it's, it's like as it's right up there with Frank Zappa's weirdest record. It's okay. very very weird. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Any any final thoughts on Freak Out before uh, or on uh, 
Frank Zappa or uh, or uh, Trouble, Trouble Every Day. Day. No, I was just gonna say like it reminds me like the way that the the lyrics roll reminds me of that Tom Waits song Step Right Up. Do you know that one? Um, possibly, but not off the top of my head. It sounds almost like Stream of Consciousness. Okay, it's when it's like just a bass and a drum and him. I would I and would guess like that Waits is a is a Zappa fan. Yeah, I'm sure we could find some documented evidence of that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Trouble every day. It's, yeah. It's no way to delay. It's coming. <laughs> Just yeah. Fucking get ready, folks. Yeah. Buckle in. Marianne Williamson, 2020. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Vote for the Orbs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's Marianne mindset. Let's talk Brick. Cool. All right, yeah. So my pick this week um, was uh, Brick, a 2005 film directed by Ryan Johnson. It was Ryan Johnson's uh, directorial debut, starring uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, it is a neo noir set in uh, a high school in California. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character uh, Brendan um, uh, is uh, trying to reconnect with uh, an ex girlfriend. Uh, who he thinks is in some sort of trouble um, uh, and uh, sort of things go awry from there and he launches an investigation into um, uh, what sort of trouble his uh, his ex-girlfriend has gotten into and, and what he can do about it. Yeah, and by launching an investigation, uh, it's, 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 he's, it's him and his, his friend, the brain. Brain, yeah. Yeah, um, doing, doing it on their own. Uh. Yeah, um, so I, you know, I think I saw this movie. Didn't see it in theaters. This was one of those like sleeper movies that sort of bubbled out of the ether. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you just would hear people talking about it, and I think it was one of those early Netflix finds um, back when it was still getting discs, obviously. But um, uh, but yeah, like uh, I you know watching somebody's apartment, and like the first time I watched this movie, I fell in love. Like you know, I've told every improv team that I've coached, uh, uh, you can always win points with me by. Uh, by playing the the language card like i'm a huge language nerd and like this there are like blogs devoted to like the uh, the jargon that he invented for this movie um and uh it's very stylized it's very stylistic i mean he's it's clearly like it's almost a style exercise um Mm. like setting i mean it's i mean it's such a i mean it it, it's like i mean it's like picking up um uh, the big sleep or, um, or the long goodbye and just moving it to present day in a high school, mm-hmm. but like everything else, like keep everything else the same. It's like, it's almost like a, uh, and it's done in a straight faced way. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's almost like a devotional to the noir form. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Uh, uh, you said you had seen this before. Yeah, probably. If it came out in 2005, I'm I'm probably read reviews for it when it came out and remember it. Yeah, being kind of a sleeper Sundance favorite. Yeah. Um and I would have been in high school at the time, so mm-hmm. it would have definitely been as kind of a budding movie nerd and uh and a guy in high school. It, you know, it was something that I was interested in and I remember seeing it at the time and feeling that it was a little over my head maybe. Mhm. Um, and not connecting with it, but feeling like it was my fault. Mm -hmm. Um, so going into it again, I wasn't sure what to expect. Yeah. Um, I was not crazy about it. Really? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I think as you said, it's extremely stylized Yeah. and it's like, if you don't buy into the style, it's going to be rough. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Uh, 
And I real like I think when I saw it in high school, like the dialogue, it's super. You really have to pay attention. Yeah, um, it's very snappy, and and there's like kind of a a distinctive uh, rhythm to the way everybody speaks, mm-hmm. and uh, like I. I understood what was going on this time, so yeah. but it was like there was something about it to me that um, it just didn't like the the. It's an exercise in style, as you said, mm-hmm. and I wasn't sure what was at the core of it. Okay, like I didn't. There wasn't anything there that actually like spoke to me. Whereas mm-hmm. something like um, Miller's Crossing, the Coen Brothers yeah. movie, um, has dense stylized dialogue. Um, also kind of a throwback to Dashiell Hammett and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but at its core, there is something to me that like really like resonates. And this time I was like, I'm not really sure why the story's in high school. Uh, you know, like interesting. I'm not sure that uh, taking kind of a post-war genre that has a very specific context and moving it to high school without trying to forge some kind of real uh, connection between them. Um, I'm not sure how well that graft works. You yeah. Know? Um, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? I, I told, I like, it's not like I, I'm not shocked that you didn't like it. Um, yeah. I'm not shocked. I'm like, hard to please. <laughs> no, no, no. And not even you specifically. Yeah. Like, I'm not shocked that there are people that don't like oh, it. Yeah, like, yeah. I think that, like, I think this movie is taking a risk. I think it's knowingly taking a risk. In mm, fact, like yeah. I read, uh, a quote where Ryan Johnson said, he said, everybody told me the biggest risk was setting this in a high school. Right. Um, you know, I mean, I think like the critical concern, like it's, it's like 71% of Rotten Tomatoes. Not that that really means anything, but like, obviously like it's not just beloved. Mm-hmm. Like there, it is a mixed bag. Like Roger Ebert loved it, but I'm, and like, but like I can see, I mean, especially, I mean, I think like nothing makes this more clear than Joseph Gordon Levitt being in the lead role, which is like that guy has done some good work, I think, but can be a bit much. <laughs> Uh, you know, yeah. The, like what, the, I wish they had cast somebody else. I think he does a fine job in this. Like, there's a couple of times where I think he pushes it a little hard, but like, um, I think he is like a symbolic of like all of the risks this movie is taking. Mm. Yeah, I, he didn't stick out to me as especially a problem. I, um, I think he does an okay job at, um. At, at delivering this dialogue with uh, with a straight face and getting it out and and he's yeah he's surprisingly convincing as kind of like a t- a tough kid that doesn't flinch right um, but who has a lot of pain inside yeah um, but there to me was a little bit of um, there's something like adolescent about the movie not just that it's set in a high school but like when you're 16 years old and you're kind of a loner that is how you want to see yourself as kind of like this like kid that's like knows all the angles and uh yeah isn't gonna flinch when that guy drives his mustang at you super fast and who gets your ass kicked but keeps it's incredible how much he gets his ass kicked in this movie. <laughs> if you don't like Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I would recommend this movie because he gets his shit pounded out of him the whole right. time. Which is also a noir trope. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we're going to watch our quote-unquote hero get 
yeah. get the shit pounded out, out of them. So like a lot of like some of it is like, um, yeah, it's like checking boxes. Although, you know, I mean, again, like the story is knit together pretty well. But like, yeah, I mean, I totally get and like I am the guy that like I unabashedly like a lot of like uh, teen exploitation movies. Mm. So like I get that like I am kind of like I'm the good I'm a good mark for this movie. Right. And right. I understand that like a lot of people aren't going to have the same read of it as I am. I read a quote um, that made this make a lot of sense to me. Well, kind of like what you're talking about. Ryan Johnson said, um, obviously, like he, he said something along the lines of, um, like, obviously, this isn't what high school was like. But in a way, this is what high school felt like. And mm. I was like, that resonates to me. And including like what you're saying of like being kind of a romantic where it's like this feels bad, but I wish it was like more important somehow or bigger, you know, mm. yeah. like instead of me just being like weird and anxious, like if, if only there was like a murder plot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, high school kids definitely have a tendency to to dram- uh, dramatize right. their lives and uh, look at themselves as heroes in a movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. There was. He I mean, to to Johnson's credit, he I mean, he's he fucking sells it. Yeah. Um, the editing style is very distinctive. Kind yes. of. A, it's a, it's a well edited film. Um, yeah. And it's a, I mean, this is his debut and it's definitely a calling card. Like I can see how he got the career that he got from this. It's an attention grabbing movie. Yes. Whether you like it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's right. I mean, when you think about like I'm going to hand a guy a bunch of money and I need something that looks interesting at the yeah. end of it. Yeah. Like clearly, I mean, it's like not surprising to me that he's ended up like doing a Star Wars movie. It's yeah. like, we which, I, a, which I haven't seen a Star Wars movie, but I've heard that it's eccentric and uh, for for a big studio property. But but it also like fits the t- like it's mm-hmm. not like a right. It, it's a Ryan Johnson movie, but it's also a Star Wars movie. Like it's not like a standout. So um, it's funny. Like I was talking to a friend of mine about it, and I was like, like so I think his entire filmography is this. Looper was, or no, Brothers Bloom was after this, then Looper, and I think Star Wars. I think that's it. And, and Breaking Bad, which is Breaking Bad work, is the only. Oh, cool. He directed like a few of the big episodes of Breaking Bad, right? right which right. is the only other stuff of his that I've seen other than this movie. So yeah, Breaking Bad aside, I was talking to a friend and I was like, I think this is his best movie, and my friend was like, Yeah, like no question. Mm. But I don't know, that's my take. <laughs> but I also like this movie. Yeah, there's. The, I like Looper. Uh, I haven't seen Brothers Bloom, to be fair. Star Wars. Yeah, movie. I, I haven't seen that either, and I, yeah, I still haven't seen Looper. Although I'm curious about it. Um, there's, there's just like there's stuff. There are these stylistic touches in the movie that yeah. are like, wow, that's distinctive. But then, like, the more I think about them, I'm like, what does this have to? What is this? <laughs> like, there's a part, and I kind of remembered this from the first time I saw it, where uh, uh, the uh, drug kingpin, the pen, the pen, yeah. Uh, Lucas Haas. Lucas Haas. Kind of an interesting villain. Uh, Yeah. He's got an interesting presence. Um, He picks up uh, Brendan in a van. (laughs) And there's just a fucking lamp in the van. And uh, it looks cool. Right. But I was like, what? This doesn't add up. Like, there's, like, and then you go to the Penn's house. Right. And his mom comes out, and it's kind of like a funny joke because there's like two adults in the movie. Yeah. And his mom's like pouring everybody apple juice in the middle of like tense scenes. Yeah. Um, But it's like, wait, this guy's a 26 year old drug dealer and he lives with his mom. He's like trafficking drugs to the richest kids in LA or wherever the fucking movie set. Yeah. But he he lives at home and then he has like this really nice furnished room in the, the basement that's like. But very 70s. It, but and it looks great. It's like a great place to set a scene, right? But it doesn't connect to reality to me at all. Uh, you know, 
You see yeah. what I'm saying? I guess that yeah, the universe is a little inexplicable. There's yeah. there's that scene where he goes down the hall and uh, he's like he finds like a brick in this like kind of room that's like a trash room in the basement mm-hmm. and uh, he does this thing where it's like very Orson Welles touch of evil lighting trick where um, he he's attacked by the Penn's henchman Tug is yep. that his name mm-hmm. and the the mirror he uses a mirror to focus the light in the room yeah. Um, and the mirror gets hit and it's spinning around and like the lights ricocheting off his face. And, uh, you know, he goes into shadow, into light, into shadow, into light. And I was like, this, that's cool. But like, <laughs> it just like, it feels like so much of a, like, I want to do like a cool light thing in the scene. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It doesn't feel organic to me. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's fair. And like, I sort of, like, I can definitely see where you're coming from because, like, that's how I, that's kind of how I feel about Looper. Like, so Looper is more like it's another like genre exercise, but it's like a it's a time travel movie. Mm-hmm. Um, also starring Jordan Gordon, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, but I do yeah, that one feels soulless to me in the way that you're talking about this one. And this one, I, like I said, I think it's just because I'm a mark. Like, I like high school movies. I li- I'm a language nerd. So, like, the, I, there was enough for me to grab onto that, I, I, like, I want this movie to work, so it works in my head. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. I, but I don't disagree with anything you're saying. Like, he's clearly a style guy. Like you said, he, he's got, like, cool shots in his head. But, yeah. Um, and then, I don't know. I mean, like, I, watching it again, like, I was just impressed with how faithfully... I, it, like this doesn't negate anything that you're saying, but I was just very impressed with how faithfully it sticks to mm-hmm. all like all the conventions. Um, it is almost like a homework assignment, though. You're right. It's like um, sort of like a technical challenge more than like a artistic expression. Yeah. On on your note about being like a mark for the movie, like I think, you know, I grew up with Donnie Darko and I really still think it's a good movie. And I have friends that fucking can't stand it. And I could see this being that kind of movie where it's like, right. if it speaks to you and you're locked in with the vibe of it, it's yours, you know? Right, right, uh, right. But um, if it doesn't, you know, it's just like, what the fuck? You know? <laughs> Have we had the Donnie Darko conversation before, like in real life? No, I don't Just think so. like, I mean, the, my only thing on Donnie Darko was like, Donnie Darko was the first time that I was like, directors aren't always right. Like, okay. Oh, that director's cut is fucking awful. Yeah. yeah. No, I, 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 like you, love Donnie Darko, the theatrical version, yeah. and then was super excited when the director's cut came out. I was like, oh, yeah, it's like 40 minutes long. It's going to be great. And it's like, no, holy shit, yeah, dude, yeah. you ruined your own movie. Yeah. How did you ruin your own movie? Yeah. It's rough. Yeah. <laughs> the value of editors, man. Holy and, crap. And people going, again, an artist going too far up his own ass. Yeah. And then, he, you know, that Southland Tales movie, you know, he's got like comic books around it, and you got to read the comic books yeah. to understand. It's like, just fucking make a movie. <laughs> Just make a movie, yeah. Just make a movie and make it good, please. Thank you. Yeah, cool. We don't have to spend a ton of time with this. I'm going to go through. I took a shitload of notes because I love this movie, but I'm not. I'm going to skip most of them. I'm probably just going to try to do like all my favorite quotes from the movie. Yeah. Uh, right, right in the beginning, uh, lunch is a lot of things. Uh, I love that. Um, it's when he's talking to the brain mm. uh, and like, something about who you've been eating lunch with, and it's like lunch is a lot of things. It's like yeah, it's just lunch, lunch. is it, lunch is where you can find like where you you know where I eat lunch. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the reason, like literally the reason that I picked this movie is because of, uh, this exchange between him and, uh, Laura, um, uh, when he finds like the, the invite to the Halloween party that just has a phone number on it and Mm -hmm. he calls it, um, 
Laura being kind of the femme fatale yeah. of the, the thing. Yep. Uh, he calls her and uh, he says, I'm looking for details on the party. And she says, who is this? And he says, you don't know me. I'll save you some time. And she says, I know everyone and I have all the time in the world. And he says, folly of youth. Yeah. Which like, you're right. It's like way too world weary for like a 17 year old. But yeah. I lo- like every time, like I love that exchange. Uh, I know everyone. I have all the time in the world. Folly of youth. Uh, the scene at the the Halloween party where she's like like playing jazz piano and just like doing spoken word poetry. Yeah, like her delivery reminds me of Ricky Jay. Have we talked about Ricky Jay? No, but I I'm familiar with the man in his okay. work. He's on Deadwood, uh, which right, right, yeah. right. Um, yeah, like if you don't know Ricky Jay, just you give yourself the present go of going on YouTube and yeah. googling Ricky Jay. That great New Yorker profile of yeah. him. Oh, so, uh, yeah, yeah, just watch Ricky Jay and his 52 assistants. The whole thing is on YouTube for some reason, which like, I, I don't know why, but great. Um, Brad Bramish, like his whole character. So he's the quarterback. Yeah. Is, he's like weirdly one note. I guess maybe yeah. this is another style thing, but like that is almost Lynchian, like how sort of like out of touch he is. And I guess he's supposed to be on. This is something that I was confused about in the movie uh, is the, drug drugs and like these kids are all supposed to be buying dope Mm -hmm. from this guy and he has kind of a coke energy to me brad bramish Mm -hmm. um this is he just keeps talking about how the coach won't put him in yeah which yeah it it, it really like that's literally like on a loop yeah Yeah. um it's bizarre but that's something i thought the movie like it needs to have a genuine seediness Mm -hmm. and like i feel like the the drug angle of it, there's something very, like, innocent about the way it's handled. Like, mm. especially now, like, I feel like in the the time of the opioid crisis and whatever, like, it doesn't it doesn't hold up as well. Because the, the drug part of it, it's like, oh, these kids, they're getting involved with drugs, but we don't see really the... Yeah, the after effects. Yeah, or, or what that looks like, you know. Other the, than, like, the weird Heshers that, like, hang out at the pie shop. But. Yeah, and they're just, they're like the stoners behind the place and say anything. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, the only thing, like, I agree with all that. Like, that is very stilted. The one thing I'd li- I like to give this movie credit for, I heard um, um, the uh, Rewatchables podcast um, say the same thing about um, uh, the uh, Days and Confused. Mm. was, like, the one thing that I do think is like somewhat realistic in a way that movies often aren't about high school is like the interchange between sort of the cliques Mm. like you know like is the opposite of this being the breakfast club where it's like there are these cliques and they literally never talk and then like this one there's this fluidity where it's like there Mm. are these cliques but like people sort of float in between yeah and it's like that i thought read a little more honestly in this right yeah it resonates with my high school experience the members of those cliques are yeah they're sort of i mean like everybody is sort of a bizarre character in this movie almost uh by choice yeah uh but yeah bramish was was weird um uh, oh, I just I noted that um, the the first time that he goes to coffee and pie, oh my, uh, the score uh, was like uh, it was like uh, Asian banjos, like Chinese banjos, and I was like, oh, angular banjos, uh, which is a <laughs> there's the like connection. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, every like almost everything is like there's so many like uh, double meanings in this, but I mean, which again it's like it's clever, but it's it, it, uh, to what effect I I totally buy, but like I, I, for some reason it, the, this watch was the first time I noticed that the car that uh, is always mysteriously showing up like when he's on the phone um, the car is a white rabbit mm. it's a Volkswagen rabbit but it's a white rabbit okay he's chasing the white rabbit um, uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to, whose car is it so remember like w- w- when M calls him like he gets the note in his locker to go to the payphone at the crossroads and then the car flies by 
And then like after the car flies by, M gets really nervous. So he's like, who the hell is that? And like, that's the car the cigarette flies out of. Is there not a black car in it? Yeah, Tug drives the black Mustang. Okay, okay. That's, all right, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, like, projecting that car to everything. I but think. a lot of this, like, a lot of it, like, a lot of this movie, like, turns on who's driving this white car. Okay. This, it's like a, it's a Volkswagen hatchback. Okay. And it's, like, this one of the early scenes of the movie. He's on the phone with M. He knows M is somewhere nearby because she can see him. She says it's good to see yeah, you yeah. again. Uh, but he doesn't know where she is. And then this car goes speeding by, and she gets very nervous. And she says, I have to go. So, like, right, yeah. part of this movie is, like, part of the mystery is, like, who was in the car? Who's in the car? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was a white rabbit. Uh, the first time I noticed. Um, uh, I really like the costumes in this movie, just as a general note. Um, uh, oh, yeah. When he – after – after uh, M uh, dies and he finds her body and then he goes back to the brain. Um, uh, the brain says, uh, where's M? And he says, she's gone. And brain says, can't raise her. And he says, no, I can't. Um, like brain doesn't know she's dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I get, I don't know. Like I said, the, 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 half of this movie is just the language nerdery for me. Uh, I didn't get the whole quote, but the one about it, uh, something he says, like, I bet if I asked for a show to hands, I'd see a crowd of full pockets. Uh, good line. Um, uh, yeah, the scene where, um, uh, he just like finds tug and says, well, he sees tugs car and he's trying to break into it. And then tug, um, uh, it comes walking up. Mm. And so instead of running away, he just like decides to like pose coolly on tug's car. And then when tug gets there, he demands to see the pin and tug just starts punching him. Yeah. He like punches him and then then he knocks him down and then uh, he, uh, Brendan dusts himself off and says, I want to see the pin. And then tug punches him again, like slams the car door into him. Uh, and then finally like, uh, Oh yeah. And that's the scene like where you said, and then, um, uh, tug speeds off, but then turns around and comes barreling at him and they play this game of chicken. Yeah. And, uh, and Brendan just stands there and the car goes like right by him. Uh, and then he one more time he says, uh, "I want to see the pin." And uh, Tug says, "Yes, you do." <laughs> I, I that uh, reminds me that I think the episode, one of the episodes of Breaking Bad that he directed, is the one where you've watched Breaking Bad, yeah. I'm assuming, mm-hmm. where the uh, those twins find Hank in the parking lot. Where there's it's like a big dramatic scene. Hank gets shot in a parking lot. Okay. Um, it just occurs to me that uh, Ryan Johnson's really good at parking lot. Uh, oh, yeah. Shooting in parking lots. There's yeah. something about this. It feels like a lot of it takes place in kind of like these flat spaces. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It was, yeah. I mean, that's obviously like a weird thing, like to have this noir set in like sunny California in these yeah. like open spaces. But it is like very like grayed out, like blue yeah, tone. It, yeah. It looks like blown out. And also like Long Goodbye kind of did it first. But like, you know, I mean, it's definitely not. There's like plenty of homages to Long Goodbye. Like one of my notes is like the scene with him and the pin on the beach. I was like, I do oh, the yeah. reason they're yeah. on the beach is because of the Long Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> Again, there's no reason for them to be on the beach other than like, oh, let's have something like the Long Goodbye. Um I love The Long Goodbye, one of my favorite movies. Yeah, it's funny. Time. It's funny. Like, that one is the one that, like, I don't, I, I'm not mad at it, but, like, it doesn't grab me. Yeah. And it's like my buddy, I have a friend who's just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know, man. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Just, um, oh, yeah. Oh, so we, the, the, the assistant vice principal. Uh, played Chef. by Richard Roundtree, <laughs> yeah. uh, but like, yeah. but like, not like uh, they don't like make him shafted up or anything. Yeah, he's yeah. just like playing it straight. He's like the he's the cop, right? You know, he's the, he's chief the, the chief of police. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Which that, that's that's I mean like the improv nerd in me like likes the mapping, but yeah, like yeah. like looking at it as a dramatic work, it, you're you're right, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but the improv nerd in me like if the, if you played that as an improv scene, you'd be like, I mean, Patrick, that, that's Patrick maybe the Anthony. cleanest mapping in the movie. Right. Yeah. Um, that and maybe like the drama, the drama girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Kara. Yeah, I love again. Yeah, I love her. I don't, I don't can't remember why. Yeah, um, yeah. She's got. I, I was trying to dog. decide. Yeah, or are those guys supposed to be eating her out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I've had that same thought. <laughs> yeah, it's not clear. Like, is that the joke? Is that like he just keeps walking in on her while she's getting eaten out in the back of the drama class? Yeah. So there's this character Kara who's like it's like somewhat ancillary, but like he needs her for information. He like has to like kind of like do bad battle of wits with her to like get information out of all this and like the first time we see her she's framed from like the mid torso up and he says will you tell your laptop to get out of here and this head just emerges from her lap uh it could just be guys when they say something about how like like he's like he talks about like you're you're still like uh, enslaving freshmen or something like that and then she says like you used to be my lapdog once and he says way one sister yeah um uh oh yeah but like did i already get past the exchange with richard roundtree yeah because like that's uh, i another one of my favorite lines in the movie um i gave you jared richard roundtree says you've been a friend of this office before and he says i gave you jared to see him eat and not to see you fed yeah and like like the character uh who's (laughs) by his name by the way is gary truman yeah uh true like literally t-r-u-e-m-a-n yeah um uh, but he says, uh, he says, very well said, uh, you're like an English, you're, you've always been good at English or something like that. Yeah. That's a great line. I think they shout out a real English teacher at that school. I think, yeah. I'm pretty sure a shot at, at his high school, uh, Ryan Johnson's, uh, actual high school. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, this one is sort of like, uh, I, I don't even know what to make of it, but I do love it when he's on the, when he's on the beach with the pin. The pen, like apropos of nothing, just says, "You read Tolkien," and but Brendan in character goes, "What?" <laughs> and he goes, "His descriptions are really good. He makes you want to be there." <laughs> yeah, like, and, and that's how the scene ends, right? Yeah, it's yeah that that struck me as really bizarre, but also kind of like, oh yeah, they are just like kids, kids, right? Yeah, yeah that's the only thing I thought is like, or and it's like supposed to sort of like undercut the pen a little bit because he looks yeah. like a big heavy, yeah, but then it's just like he's a nerd. Yeah. And you have to set up this thing that like tug is his muscle because he needs muscle. Like he's like somehow like, like, like he's dealing with some sort of disability. Yeah. Uh, tug calls him a cripple at the end. I yeah. Think. And uh, he walks with a cane. Yeah. And I like specifically noted, like there's a pointed shot of his shoes in one point and he's wearing like a very nice dress shoe and then a sneaker. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, something's up with his foot or something. Um, but, uh, I went through these. I'm just trying to see if there's any other great, great quotes. But, um, yeah, I, the other thing I like about the movie is like, um, it's not quite as, uh, like you said, like you almost have to watch it twice to kind of get everything that's going on. But that's all, I mean, again, like also a noir convention, you know I mean? Like just like things that like don't even necessarily add up plot wise. And like, yeah, you, you don't ever really have an idea of what's going on until the very end Yeah, when he sort of like relates the whole story. And then there's the thing of like, you think you know what happened and then there's like one more twist. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the, I did notice, like, in the very last scene, you know, there's that famous anecdote about the big sleep where, they, where they're where they like, yeah, we don't even know how this one guy died. And somebody, like, asks, like, hey, this character dies. Who killed him? And they're like, right. I don't fucking know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's very rigorous about, like, explaining everything. Because at one point, uh, Brendan gets attacked by a guy with a knife. Yeah. Uh, in, in one of the better scenes of the movie, I think, where he, where he does that thing where he goes around the corner and takes, takes his, shoes his shoes off, off yeah. and trips the guy. Um, it, at the end, after the big reveals, 
like brain comes up and it's like, oh, and by the way, that one guy, he was sent by somebody else. And it's like, yeah. And it's like, I, part of me was like, I don't really need that explained right. necessarily, but uh, I appreciate that he had it that rigorously mapped out that after the big emotional moment, he was like, hey, uh, let's tie up this loose end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it turned out that guy had been hired by Brad Bramish just because Brad Bramish was like mad at him. Yeah, and understandably so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he made him look like a fool. Yeah. Well, he didn't need a lot of help, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, brick. Yeah, brick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Scott. Yeah. Is it that time? I think for so. You, for you to tell me uh, what's good this week? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Uh, this past couple weeks? Yeah, let's talk about what's good. Um, I feel like I had three things. But like the one thing that I definitely wanted to talk about, um, uh, Joe outed me uh, last week as a, as a foodie. Um, so I have like a super hot recommendation for like, I mean, this is you don't have to be a food nerd, like for anybody. Have you been to Abuelita's yet? As, a, as in the little grandmas? <laughs> There's a restaurant called Abuelitas on no. the Midlothian Turnpike. No, I have not. It's fucking incredible. Okay, what what are they what are they serving up? It's Mexican food, but it's like not like any Mexican restaurant you've ever been to before. Like the, okay. it is mostly um, I think they're called guisados, like stews. It's mostly stews. Okay. Um, so you walk you walk in. It's counter service. Um, and the deal is, you can either get a small plate or a big plate. Small plate gets you rice, beans, and one stew. Big plate gets you rice, beans, and two stews. Um, And the stews are like, um, it's like pork and cactus or like, um, um, it's, it's usually, it's like a protein and some vegetable. Um, there's like steak and potatoes. Um, but like, I mean, you're just talking about these incredibly flavorful stews, like, you know, with all kinds of chilies and seasonings and stuff in them. Um, and, uh, we had like shrimp, I had, uh, pork, uh, and the, oh, chicken and chorizo, um, was super good. And they, so they give you that with, um, uh, rice and you can either get uh, black beans or refried beans and then like fresh uh, flour tortillas which like they're easily the best flour tortillas in Richmond but that's the, the lowest fucking bar ever yeah. like I haven't had a fresh flour tortilla in the city of Richmond if anybody else knows another place to get fresh flour for tortillas please let me know these are the only ones I've had clearly I mean I would bet money that they're made in house they're fucking delicious um, and the stews are amazing the service is incredible like everybody's like super friendly and you think like oh it's like ethnic food on the south side like either the food is going to be amazing and the place is going to be sketchy or uh the place is going to be nice when the food's going to be so so like this is the first place where like the food is incredible and it like it looks like it it almost like in the best possible way it almost looks like a chain like it's that like sort of buttoned up and like well designed um and like everybody's super nice and it's cheap um there's like it's like 10 bucks or something hell yeah so yeah like it worth the drive it's right across from uh, taqueria panchito like where uh, chippenham hits uh, uh midlothian turnpike like worth the drive get out to abuelitas the other way you know it's legit is they did a pop-up at the jasper so like when the jasper <laughs> invites you in to do a pop-up like you're hipster good but like it's not like super expensive and super nerdy it's just like delicious mexican food like really well done Worth a drive, even for our, our listeners far flung <laughs> across the world. I mean, if you're in California, yeah, yeah, you yeah. don't need this. <laughs> if but you're in New Mexico, you don't need that's, this. That sounds yeah, really I would good. drive from Charlottesville. I would certainly drive from, well, Nova too. You probably have stronger, like authentic Mexican food game up there. But like, yeah, if you're struggling, if you're like 
in Appalachia and you're really struggling for some authentic Mexican food, come yeah. come visit us. Yeah, go to Abu- yeah. If you live in Virginia Beach and you're just dealing with all that garbage beach food, yeah. Just- oh, and and if you know where flour tortillas can be found, yeah, good flour you know other- tortillas in yeah. Richmond. Yeah, email I'm- us at. <laughs> oh yeah, we have a we have an email. Oh yeah, good call. <laughs> yeah, email us at stealinginthedan uh, at gmail.com. Yeah, this is episode six for all of you people out there. You yeah. can finally reach us with your complaints. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Or your encouragement. Mm-hmm. We desperately needed your approval. Yeah, we have stealing in the dan at gmail.com. I think we have stealing in the dan, like at Twitter, at stealing in the dan. Yeah. Um, and you probably have found this at stealing in the dan.com. Yeah. Oh, we have a website? We do. Uh, oh, well, I mean, yeah. We don't currently have a website, but we do have a re- we have a registered uh, name. Uh, soon right. we'll have it. I mean, and, right. like for everybody else, like this will sound weird because the website will have been up the entire time you've known about this podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah. If you're, if you're hearing this, it's um, it's February 2012. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. That's what we're recording. Um, um, cool, yeah. But so, uh, Joe, uh, having said all that, you tell me. What's good? Oh, yeah. I've got a few things this week. I'll go uh, in uh, ascending order of greatness. Nice. Um, First one, uh, I watched an adaptation of a book that I I enjoyed. Yes, I read a fucking book. (laughs) Ann Beattie's Chili Scenes of Winter. I watched the film adaptation of that. And it's one of those... uh, It was released, I think, in 1979. um, Kind of a low-key 70s movie. And it's... On the surface, a light rom-com type thing, but mm-hmm. it's about romantic obsession and gets progressively creepier as it goes along. Uh, stars John Hurd, the dad from Home Alone, as kind of a uh, um, an alcoholic uh, guy who's obsessed with his ex and is stalking her. Kind of uh, great casting, yeah. Uh, he's <laughs> and he's phenomenal. In nice. It. It's got like, you know, that kind of 70s hangout vibe that I like yeah. with just enough edge to really um, to really uh, get under your skin. And uh, Gloria Graham, great film noir uh, actress uh, in, in Nick Ray's uh, In a Lonely Place. Um, she plays his mom, who's <laughs> uh, extremely uh, depressed and in a bathtub the whole movie. So, nice. Yeah. Uh, Chili Scene's a winner. Um I'm not a uh, comic books or graphic novels guy usually, but uh, uh, some some friends of the show, uh, Grayson Dashell, thrust this book, Asterios Polyp by David Mazzuchelli. Do you know this one? I don't know it. All right. It's, uh, it's kind of like this – it's hard to describe, but it's, it, it's um, like a fractured time-hopping thing about this architect genius that – that uh, never gets anything actually built. Okay. Um, and it, it's kind of about his humbling. Okay. Um, and it's it's weirdly enough, like, it's it's got this, like, insane art style to it uh, and is, is very, like, architecturally designed as a book. Okay. Um, but what it's best at, I think, is kind of getting at, like, dysfunctional relationships mm. and kind of this microscopic detail. Yeah. Um, so a serious poem by, by David Mazzuchelli, which as I understand is kind of like, uh, if you, if you are into the graphic novels, this may be an incredibly basic recommendation, but, yeah. um, as a, as a non, non expert on the genre, I was, I was pretty blown away. And yeah. then last of all, I went, made it out to the bird theater here in Richmond, Virginia this week for 
The Docks of New York, silent silent movie by Josef von Sternberg. Um, and I thought, you know, I was kind of tired before I went, and I was like, oh, I don't know, a silent movie? Right. Like, every time, I've seen, you know, a fair number of silent movies in my life, and there's always this thing beforehand where I'm like, this, this is going to be fucking boring. Right. And this is going to be, it's like vegetables or whatever. <laughs> yeah. There's something about seeing a silent movie that reminds you of why you like movies in the first place, yeah. especially when they're good. Right. This had live organ accompaniment by nice. uh, Michael Britt on the Mighty Wurlitzer. Sweet. And I think if I understand what he said beforehand correctly, he did original music for it where he also incorporated like these dance hall tunes from the time period. Nice. So it was like a once a once in a lifetime opportunity to, yeah. to kind of see it this way. And the movie it does everything in like 75 minutes. It's like I was laughing more than I've laughed at anything I've seen since the beach bum. Nice. <laughs> um, it's it was moving to me. There's like a wedding scene in the movie where you think it's going to be just like this humorous scene. And then this like the mood changes like that. And it becomes like this all of a sudden this joke. Everybody's taking it seriously and like is taken off guard by the fact that they're taking it seriously. And. Um, I don't know. I, I just found it like, it was like, this is what movies should fucking be. Like, nice. This is, I, I don't know. It was, it was a, a beautiful experience. That's awesome. Best best time you can have on a Wednesday night at 7.15. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Is but, uh, yeah. Part of my great shame, I literally live blocks away from the bird theater and I've never seen the organ. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, you should make it out one time. It's it's great. Yeah, I need to it's do it. It's usually a different guy playing it. This guy, I yeah. guess comes when they do silent films sometimes but that's cool yeah yeah shout out to the bird theater and if you're hearing this in july of 2019 uh it's hitchcock month yeah every yeah. monday not the first like not the first but after every monday after july 1st is a hitchcock movie that's right yeah. um all right well uh should we talk about next week i guess yeah so uh come up next week uh we'll be talking about uh the first track off of uh, side two and uh, one of Steely Dan's biggest tracks, probably. Period. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like one, yeah, one of their biggest singles, if not the biggest. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll be talking about reeling in the years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, I'll I'll reveal my take first. I may be torturing you again this week. Oh Jesus! Uh, I really tried. <laughs> I I, dug, I spent like I literally spent an hour. I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but I spent an hour, like sixty minutes, like looking through short stories that I've read and uh, and. Um, um, and books and movies. I was, I literally looked at like, I was like, what's everything on Netflix right now? What's everything on Amazon prime right now? Nothing like grabbed me, uh, except this. Um, so, uh, apologies in advance. Uh, <laughs> my pick this week, uh, to go along with reeling in the years is, uh, from 2004. Should I just look this up? Um, no, sorry. 2002, uh, the rules of attraction. Oh, Scott, <laughs> Scott, this is not a problem for me at all. Okay, good. Yeah. I, okay, good. I was a big fan of that movie for a long time. Okay, I haven't good. seen it in years, but uh, uh, yeah, that was a big movie for me for a while. Sweet. Okay, good. Yeah. Because yeah, one thing that uh, my brother and I quote more than Montana by Frank Zappa is this movie. Yeah. Uh, it's Yeah. This is something I've shown friends before. Good. Yeah, all so, right. Uh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So that's my pick. Cool. Uh, my pick is a song again. Okay, good. Um, I, I also considered songs, but I couldn't... Like, I couldn't... Anyway, sorry, do your pick. I, I don't know if this will make sense or not, but there's something about it that uh, there was never any doubt that this is what I was going to do for this. A mm -hmm. uh, little song 
by a man named Bob Dylan uh, called Like a Rolling Stone. Oh, wow. Interesting. I considered uh, a different Bob Dylan song. Which one? I was thinking um, uh, most of the time. I don't know that one. I don't think. Uh, it's like a breakup song. Okay. The, it's, it's a very, it's a, it's a, it's a one note. Is it on Blood on the Tracks? Uh, no, it's later. It's on the High Fidelity soundtrack. Oh, okay. I'm a basic bitch. But um, <laughs> uh, the, the conceit is like, uh, it's li- he's like, uh, it's, it's literally, you know, it's like singing to somebody that he used to love or something. And he says, most of the time, you're not even on my mind. Oh, I can't okay. even remember. You know, that's the, con- it's All like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So yeah, next week, Rules of Attraction, Like a Rolling Stone. <laughs> we tackled Zappa this week. Yeah, there, surely we'll we'll uh, cover all that needs to be said about Bob Dylan and Brett Brady Easton Ellis <laughs> and Roger Avery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is the, yeah. This is uh, what uh, signing up for a st- uh, podcast about Steely Dan is. It's a it's a review of all the great cynics. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In American uh, art. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, there's only one thing left to do. Yeah, producer Dakota. Yes. <laughs> What'd you learn about Steely Dan this week? Uh, I've been thinking about the song a lot and all the songs we listened to so far. Yeah. I think everything you need to know about a Steely Dan song is in the guitar solo. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And that Frank Zappa is a libertarian. Yes. <laughs> Very true. I think that's a fair point. Yeah. He probably hates being labeled, but if you had to label him, that's probably a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Those guitar solos, every, all the secrets of life deep buried inside of them and next week's guitar solo oh wait to hear it yeah yeah and so yeah. a legendary guitar solo frank zappa has a whole album just of guitar solos called shut up and play your guitar yeah so good call all right oh signing off until until next week yeah i i think my food poisoning was cured over the course <laughs> of this i knew when you were talking about the stews i was like I, I can eat some stew right now. Get out there, man. Yeah. And they put their menu up. Their menu changes every day. Check it out on Facebook. All they right. put it up every day. I'm not eating meat these oh, days. Uh, no, yeah, so they have, they always have at least one veg, and then if you Ooh. eat seafood, um, yeah, they had zucchini when we were there, and they had shrimp if you do the if they do the fish. And they had chiles rellenos, which I didn't ask if they were vegetarian, but they were very possibly vegetarian. I'm not going to risk that right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Uh, do we have a sign off? I don't think Six so. episodes. I don't know. All right. We'll get there. This is fucking over. Keep it sleazy. <laughs> <laughs>